Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the pandemic episodes. I am your host, Tom Fulb. In these episodes, we will meet loving, talented people who, while coping with their own pandemic stress, are offering others understanding, compassion, love, and ways to relax and heal, even under the weight of current conditions. Listen with an open heart to those who, in this time of crisis, are offering their hearts and talents to us all. And I'm very happy today to have as our guest, Rita Denoyers Garcia, who is a spiritual development coach. Welcome, Rita. Thank you, Tom. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here. And I think this is a fascinating subject of spiritual development. So how, what is a spiritual development coach? How do you operate? Tell us some about that. That's a good question. So I can tell you how I particularly operate. Maybe other spiritual development coaches do it differently. But what I've noticed is that in order for people to expand and develop, they can do it a number of different ways. And I really like to go to the spirit, the, the deep meaning, the connection to the to whatever it is, the all that is, to God, to the universe, whatever uh, is in your belief system. And the way that I do that is through helping people develop a capacity to have compassion for themselves. And I work specifically with women because although men can suffer with lack of self-compassion, I think women can be especially um, mean to themselves and not very compassionate with themselves. So, um, and I only know that through my own experience of myself. So it really came from my own spiritual journey and then having a background in social work um, and going through psychotherapy and having coaches. And I, I kind of cobbled it all together and I decided there, there are many ways to go, to go to this, to come to the root causes of what's going on with us. But one of the biggest ways is through our spiritual development. Right. Now you were a social worker for about 20 years. Is that right? Yeah, I worked as a social worker. I got my degree in the um, early nineties and I worked um, for about 10 years in New York city, which is a great place to do social work because oh, there yes. are a lot of problems. <laughs> Um, I worked with um, the homeless, formerly homeless, mentally ill. I worked with municipal workers. Um, I worked with families who had children with developmental delays. Um, I worked with immigrant families. I worked with um, gay men who are diagnosed with HIV AIDS. So I got to work with lots of different populations and wow, what a rich, rich experience. Very diverse, um, very, very fascinating. Was there a time that you had a revelation, you had a, an awareness that you said, this is good work and I need to be doing something else? Oh, that's like my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I start on that one? But I would say um, when I was uh, in social work school, um, I loved social work and I also loved um, comedy and music. So I did social work in the day. And then at night I took uh, classes in um, writing comedy skits. Um, so, so wait a minute, that, let me just stop for a second here. So you, you're, if you do social work, you're gonna do a group with social workers then you start writing a comedy script, script for them. <laughs> well, I did kind of both. I took classes at um, this place called um, Chicago City Limits. Yes. Um, and some other places that I wrote, learned how to do um, sketch writing skits, you right. know? Yeah. And I did that. 
And then I also am a musician. So I also, because I was in New York, wanted to have the experience of performing music. So I, I did that as well. So I was always like, I love social work, but I have this artistic expression that I have to act on. And so I did a lot of that. And even when I was in at social work school in New York City, um, uh, at Columbia University, they had every, it seemed like every school, every college had like an end of the year show and except for the social work school. So a friend of mine actually did, we came up with the social work follies and uh, we wrote all the skits. We did music parodies and it was all about being a social worker and being in social worker school. So we kind of started that. I don't even know if they still do it, but I realized I need to do that. Like that is something that needs to happen. So I had my nightlife and I had my day life. Um, for many years. combination. I mean, because you have your creativity being enhanced by your work and by your nightlife and by the- Absolutely. Yeah. And it balances. You got to laugh, right? You can't cry all the time. So even if I- I have met and talked with, had an interview with a woman who is a clown and she goes into hospitals and helps people to laugh and to have fun. Absolutely. So Yeah. It's so necessary. I mean, I want to- I feel like for my life, I want to hit every key on the emotional keyboard. So one way to do that is to 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 go into situations where you're going to have all these emotions. And for sure, social work, you're going to have a lot of emotions, but also it can get really heavy. So the other side of it is laughing at different situations, not people, but at different situations that are absurd. So we did a lot of that. And that just kind of continued. Yeah, well, that, that is wonderful. I mean, when, when you can look at the funny side of whatever it is, just for, even for a moment, the laugh breaks the tension. It really does. Absolutely. It opens people up. Absolutely. And um, so I did that. Um, I also had a big yearning to work with women specifically. I felt so much of energy around women reaching their potential. And of course, that was driven by me trying to reach my own potential too. So, um, so I did that in different ways. I tried to start different groups in New York. Um, my compromise was kind of working with gay men um, because I was uh, slated to do a war. I was working at a gay men's health crisis and I was doing a volunteer group and it was supposed to be for women and then they didn't have enough women. So they said, here, have this group. And so I worked with these men and uh, it was very interesting. It was, I learned a lot and talk about having compassion. I mean, it, it was just about having compassion for each other and their stories. And then I became pregnant um, while I was leading that group. So I sort of became the mama of the group. Uh. And um, at, at the point where I was about to give birth, I said, you know, we were going to end the group with me as a leader. And they're like, can't you just bring the baby with you bring the baby in the middle? And I'm like, guys, I don't think it's going to work out that way. But um, but they were so sweet. It was it was a great experience. Yeah, well, I tell you, there was a, a, a wellness center before I started anything else. I did a wellness center for 10 years. And one of those people we had in the wellness center was a. a um, person who did yoga for moms and their newborns. Yes. And that was fascinating. And it was also fascinating when they got to be 18 months, they would go to the door and say, out, out, out. They wanted, yeah. So yeah. Like, you could only go just so far with that. Yeah. There's some point where they're not as portable as they used to be. Yeah. Right. Indeed. Indeed. 
So you're doing all this wonderful work. Now you come home, have children. You just did you continue to work or did you just raising children for a while? So after my first child, we were living in Brooklyn at that time, and I was determined to go back to work. And I worked in a nonprofit that couldn't pay me a lot. So they said, we're going to give you perks, right? So one of the perks was um, if I wanted to work while I had this baby, they would allow me to come in one day a week to do that, which is unheard of, right? Right. So I would literally take a car service because I tried to take the baby on the subway. It was all the way up in East Harlem. And, and that wasn't very pleasant with people grabbing at my baby and all that stuff. So I would take the car service. I would take the baby because I was nursing, bring it to um, a friend's house who would take care of the baby and give it a bottle. I would work, come back, nurse the baby on my lunch hour, go back to work work until three or four or five, come back, nurse the baby again, and then take the car service home. And even that, because I was trying to compress a week's worth into one day, even that, it was just really hard. And one of the nuns came up to me one day and she said, if coming to work one day a week is really hard for you, maybe it's time to not work for a little (laughs) bit. The nuns are very, you know, they tell you like it is. So they're very clear. They're very clear. So I was just like, yeah, maybe this is not working out because I was commuting from Brooklyn to East Harlem, which is a long commute. So I was a stay at home mom for a while. Um, And then we moved to New Jersey and started having because we had more space. Of course, we wanted to fill it up. So we had another child. And um, and then I was doing a uh, Mexican cooking class. I was teaching Mexican cooking classes as my side gig. Um, and, uh, and that was really fun, but I was really tired. So I stopped that. And then I had a third child. And um, when uh, she was a baby, I would be on, I was doing um, selling, uh, I was doing network marketing and um but I was trying to learn how to do it differently. And so I was on a marketing call at night while I was nursing my baby wow. every night. It was, it was a bit of a, uh, I don't want to swear, but it was, it was a show. Nobody, yeah, nobody will complain well. if you swear. It's all right. We've had that. Okay. Happen. All right. It was a shit show. Okay. Got it. Just to be honest. So, um, so I was nursing the baby at night while I was taking this class trying to do calling people about my product in the day with a toddler on my knee. It was, it was not good. It was not good. Clearly not good. It was going down the toilet really fast. And um, that's really when I had a big revelation um, as the wheels were coming off the cart on that, the kids were crying. I was crying. No one was happy. And that's when um, I was looking for help to help me with my business. And so I hired this coach. You know how like your mind will tell you you're doing something for some reason and then you right. realize you're taking a completely different course you didn't even anticipate. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I I hired him because I thought great, he's going to help me close clients and that's all I need. I just need to close some clients, I'll be happy. Right. So I hired him and he was just like maybe it's time to take a step away from your business. And I was like, "What?" are you kidding me? I don't want to be a quitter, you know? (laughs) And he's like, no, no, taking a step back is not quitting. And what he helped me realize was that I wasn't taking care of myself. 
I was being really mean to myself. Um, I was not being kind or gentle or any of it. And once I started following, he had a program that was all about your beliefs. And I realized that there were so many things that I didn't even know that I believed that was running my life. All these things that I was believing, that I was a quitter, that I couldn't do things, that I had to prove myself, that I wasn't worth it, all of that stuff. And as we started working together over time, I realized that that particular business was not for me. I was really trying to put a square peg into a round hole. I wasn't happy. Um, I wasn't having my dream life. Certainly wasn't making any money. And what I really loved to do was what he was teaching me. That's what it was soaking in, you know, learning how to meditate, learning how to take care of yourself, being kind and gentle with yourself, mindset stuff, looking at your beliefs, um, creating habits that actually support you versus habits that don't support you. Um, being in your joy, doing, understanding that you're worth it, things like that. And I started getting happier and I noticed, I could see the vast, you know, swath of women who are walking around the supermarket like zombies because they weren't happy. So I started working with them one-on-one and then in groups and kind of, I, I said to him, do I need a coaching degree? He's like, Rita, you have a, a master's in social work. We've been working long enough together that I know you got it. You don't need this extra certificate. I don't think it's necessary. Just do what you're doing. And I started my business right then and there. And it just kept expanding and expanding. And I wrote a couple of books and I made a meditation CD. And um, that's sort of how it all developed. Well, while it sounds a a touch chaotic, there is nothing like coming from your heart, coming from what you really know about yourself. Yes. That's how you start a business. That's what you start doing. And you really know what you're doing. Well, yeah. And it comes from that place of being in that chaos and confusion and stuckness and out of that watching, you know, watching that all kind of get destroyed and then out of the ashes come this new life. I'm surprised you didn't call it Phoenix. Exactly. This is a Phoenix from the ashes. Right. So, but that all needed to dissolve and be destroyed. But at the moment it was terrifying and I didn't like it and it sucked basically, but I learned there's this whole other life that I could be having, but this needs to go. It just you also, and you also had a coach that you could be there for you. Because that's I think, another key ingredient, which you're now transferring to other people. Absolutely. Here, absolutely. I'm, I am here for you. We need somebody to be there for us. Yes. And so in my birthing of three children, I've learned a lot about having people who are with you that are supportive. Right. Um, the second and third birth I had, I wanted to do natural childbirth. The first one was very medicalized and very interventionist. And, and I didn't want to do that anymore. I, I wanted to try a different way. And, and um, I was talking to a yoga teacher and she said, um, you know, if you want to do this a different way, you really need a midwife and a doula. You really need that. So I pursued a doula, which I'd never even heard of, which is just, um, it's a woman who is specialized in the care of of women who are going to give birth. That's their whole job is to be there with you as a point person and a support. And they've got a lot of tools in their toolkit. Right. And I was able to have two natural births because of that. 
Oh, and I realized having that person with you and a good labor nurse and a good midwife and a good doctor on your team, then they will help guide you so you can stay in the mindset of I can do this. And obviously there are no guarantees on that, but I think if I didn't have a midwife and doula, I would not have had an unmedicated natural birth in that right. situation. It would have been really, really hard. Well, it's a wonderful thing. I will just add that that's how our daughter was born with a doula, with a, with a midwife and at home. Yeah. There's but, a completely different experience and, and no, uh, I mean, no offense to, uh, I, I understand obstetricians. My first daughter was born in a hospital. Yeah. And no offense to hospitals or doctors, but it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Well, because of New Jersey law, I actually had to have both my kids in hospitals because I had a cesarean section the first time. Well, and that's New Jersey law. But, but having the doula there who was running interference with my husband, whispering in my ear, we're going to get you off the table. We're going to put you in a different position. We're going to go in the shower hang on for 10 minutes, you know, all of those things helped get me through all of the intensity of it. Um, and what I do in my work is kind of like being an emotional doula. I was just about to say, it sounds like what you're doing is helping someone get through tough stuff. Yeah. So I'm just there whispering in their ear in 10 minutes, it's going to be different or just one more breath or here, I'm going to put a tennis ball on your lower back to release, you know, right. all of the tricks that the doulas use or relax your jaw, relax your jaw or don't um, like one of the things that I did when I was labor is, you know, that breathing when you're like, you know, you're doing your breathing. No. And what I would, what she would notice is when I was in intense pain or whatever you want to call it, my register would go up. I go, you know, like that. And she'd say, lower your voice, lower your voice, go into the lower registers. And I go, <gasps> just doing that helped me bear the intensity of what was going on. Now, right. I didn't know that. I never would have thought of it on my own. And I don't think anybody teaches that in any of the courses anyone would have taken. No, they teach what that. they can teach. Yeah. And I took all the courses. Yeah. You know it and you offer it to people today in your business. What's the equivalent, so to speak, of giving birth? What do you see? I think it to me is coming to some kind of spiritual understanding. Is that fair to say? I feel like giving, I use the birth analogy all the time. You know, right. like I'll even say to women, you are at seven centimeters right now. You got a few more centimeters to go before you push. That's where you are. You're in transition right now in this situation. And they go, oh, I get it. Right. Oh, right. okay. Because I've done that, you know, right. so sometimes I use those analogies, but I would say any really tough situation that you're going through that at the other side, you're going to have an amazing result is a, is a birthing process. And I sure. think so many people are going through that right now. They're going through really tough situations that really? most of the time will glean something pretty amazing, even if it's just... I feel more free now that I went through that, or I'm stronger than I thought. Um, well, the, the realization that people have come to during this pandemic has really been, my gosh, I can do something myself, or I can work from home, or I don't have to have this, I can yep. have that. These are amazing, and a lot of changes, a lot of changes. 
We yeah. Or I, or my health is really important. I better start paying attention to it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, that's wonderful. Your clients are not, are all women or just mostly women? Well, occasionally I have a man coming to me, which is fine. I welcome him with open arms, but the vast majority of people are women, mostly moms, mostly stressed out professional moms. That seems to be the, the combination of a mother who's stressed out because she's juggling a ton of balls in the air because she's trying to build a career or has a job or has something she's trying to nurse. And she's got all these kids going on at the same time. And now she's doing it at home. And she's doing it at home. She's either homeschooling her kid or kids on remote or she's doing, yeah, there's, there's just a lot going on and it's super stressful. So you clearly have a lot of tools to deal with that. A lot of your experience. What about you put the word spiritual in your title? How does that enter in this? How does that support somebody or how do you help them find that support? So sometimes people come to me and they already have a spiritual life or they're religious. And so I try to work within that religious tradition as much as I can. Um, but really it's not, what I do is non-denominational. It's not religious at all. But in terms of spirit is what can they, they connect to deep inside themselves? It's going to make them feel more connected to everything. Um, it could be an intuitive feeling. It right. could be that sense when you're meditating, where you feel connected to the silence. Yep. So it doesn't have to be God related necessarily, yes, yeah. but meaning. It's also it's what, what, I, what I'm hearing and not tell me if this is correct. You're something you're touching, getting in touch with that is supporting you. And I yes. think women in particular who have not, who've been the supporters of others, whether it's children or husbands, uh, this is very vital. They don't often feel supported. Absolutely. Most of these moms, like I did, felt very isolated and alone, even though there were people outside who would would love to help them. But we were kind of as pushing it out. I have to figure it out on my own. It's my responsibility. I have to do it all. If I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. And what I'm teaching them is there's something bigger than you that the whole time has been around and is guiding you and is... Um, maybe whispering to you. And right now it's hitting you with a two by four. It's time to pay attention. Sometimes we just have to stop and listen. As, as my wife says, and it's again, it says use the word God, but not everyone has to do this. She says, listen to God and do what she tells you. Exactly. Exactly. So well, it's sort of like, <laughs> or just like a man plans, God laughs, you know, it's just like your head, your thinking a lot of times it's not helping you right now. You need to tap into something bigger than that. And it, that something starts with when they choose to ask for help, when they go yes. to you and say, I need some support. I need some yes. direction. And listening to that is the first wonderful listening maybe that they have done. And that's great. Yeah. That's great. And I can tell from this that you really like what you're doing. I do. And I think part of it is because uh, right before I, I kind of went into my business again, I took a little break and it was to do stand-up comedy, which was another thing on my bucket list for self-expression. And when I did that, I realized that the humor actually was really therapeutic for a lot of the women in the audience. Cause I was, you know, making jokes about breastfeeding and spit up and lugging kids around and women were like, oh my gosh, I haven't laughed in a long time. 
And so I think part of the joy of what I do is that I get to inject that humor when it's appropriate, obviously. And I write, I write it in the book. The self-compassion project has a lot of little humor, humorous things in it. And I think also because as a social worker, I had the honor and privilege of witnessing people at some of their worst or lowest points in their life. And to be there and witness that is it's a very vulnerable place for people to be. So I feel like when I'm helping someone go through something rough, it's an honor and privilege to be with them. It's, it's, I don't know, I can't explain it, but. Uh, You're explaining it beautifully. And I also think that if you are close enough, the two of you have developed enough of a rapport that you can say a joke and they can laugh at it and see that you, you, you see them and you see them not as just something broken, but something human. And you yes. can do a joke about it. See I, through I, all of it. Yeah. And that's what compassion is. That's, that's compassion. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's the opposite of sympathy. Yes. Yeah. Compassion. Absolutely. Touching, I was told once by a teacher, touching with love. Compassion is touching with love. Yes, that's absolutely. What, that's what sounds wonderful. And you, I, I hear you have a lot of it. Amazingly, I could talk for a couple of hours with you, but right now we're running out of time. Yes. So before we completely run out of time, if someone else who's listening also as as interested as I am and would like to know more, how would they best get in touch with you? What could they use? A website, an email? Yes, there's two ways. There's more than two ways, but the two biggest ways is one to go to my website, becomingawake.com. Becomingawake.com. And on that site, there is a nice freebie you can pick up. And, and when you pick that up, it's like a rapid stress reliever. When you sign up for that, you'll be on my mailing list. So we'll keep in touch. Right. And then the other way is I have a Facebook group called Calm Mom Alliance. C-A-L-M? C-A-L-M-M-O-M Alliance. And that's just a private Facebook group for... You don't have to be a mom, but it's I every day I'm posting something about how to relieve your stress, how to reframe things. I have interviews, I have tips, I have Facebook Live. So every day you're getting support and then you can connect with other women who are also looking for that help. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, final piece, because we do are running out of time. Yeah. You have a vision for the future. There'll be a time we believe when there will be no more of this particular crisis that we're in. What's the vision? What will have come out of this for you and for others that that you hope to see? Well, that's a great question. I would say my vision for the future is when people become more kind and gentle with themselves. Because when you become more kind and gentle with yourself, you automatically start to see people in different ways and you're more kind and gentle with them. And when you do that, the world changes. It's kind and gentle. It's whether we're coming from love or coming from fear. Exactly. It's how people have come from love. That's beautiful. Well, Rita, thank you very much for being here. It has been a wonderful having a conversation with you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Tom. Take good care now.